I always felt a little claustrophobic to have that many bunk beds in a room. Yeah, there's no room for stuff. Did you have stuff? In my bed. (laughs) (laughs) I think my bed just became like where everything stays. I'd like little tuck things underneath the bed. I used to keep my Bible under my pillow because I was superstitious as a child. And I thought that's how you got good dreams. Oh. If you sleep on the Bible. That's an understandable theory. Yeah, yeah. that one works. I mean, if you if you sleep Old Testament up, it could go really far <laughs> the other way. <laughs> you're you're now just like getting slaughtered or doing I some know, slaughtering. Getting even more scared. Yeah. <laughs> I have a dream. I, was, I had a dream. I was eating shrimp cocktail, and someone threw rocks at me until I was dead. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Growing Up Christian. I'm Casey. And I'm April, filling in for Sam yet again. Yeah, Sam's at a concert tonight. He's like, uh, he's he's in a concert phase right now. I feel like he's goes to a concert like every two weeks. Yeah, it's only bands that everyone's heard of. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be mean. What? <laughs> he and I had a big fight off mic. Not a fight, but... It was like me and Sam and Jeremiah, and we were arguing over bands because he says bands as if they're like, like he he says a band that I've never heard of with the same like confidence and stuff as like, like oh yeah, Lincoln Park. <laughs> be like, uh, the you know Groundhog's Day, and I'm like I, yeah I don't I've never heard of them, and he's like, oh they're really blowing up right now, and I'm like. I don't think they are. He's like, yeah, dude, they're everywhere. They're everywhere right now. And then we look them up on Spotify and they have like 100,000 plays, which is not nothing, but it's not blowing blowing up. So we went round and round and round and Jeremiah had to uh, had to be the referee. (laughs) Sounds like a fun job. (laughs) Oh, man. So, uh, yeah, with Sam being out, uh, I asked April to join me and we thought we might jump into this book we've actually talked about this book before with april yes uh it's called marriable it's the sequel to dateable i guess which is (laughs) that's like a um a foundational text for april's life it was i i think on the episode i said that my parents bought it for me but i looked at my old diaries because i never I can't ever not write things down and keep records of things. So I looked back on my diaries and apparently I bought it for myself. So you I have only myself to blame. <laughs> no, I wasn't allowed to eat candy. Come on. It was my 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 juice box money. <laughs> I don't know. This would have been for squeezes, but instead it's for emotional yes. damage. Yes. So this book is written. So Dateable is, do you remember who wrote the first one? Yes, it was Haley DeMarco slash, she was Morgan back then. I don't think she was married to this guy. Apparently she became marryable between Dateable and this book. She read her um, own book. Yes. And was able to snag a man. Yes, it was, uh, so it was her and a guy, his name was Justin Lookadoo, which that has to be his real name, right? 
That was like the biggest factor stacking against him. When, yeah. Uh, when... I remember in the book, I think he had the kind of like a Guy Fieri thing going on, I think, because I remember him in the book referencing his like spiky blonde hair or something, which is very 2000s of him. But so those two wrote Dateable, which was like a guidebook to landing a dating partner. And this, I guess, Haley took her advice, found a man, um, tamped herself down enough to land a man, apparently. Michael um, DeMarco. Yes, and, and Michael is in the picture now. And it just so happened that he was a confident writer, and so they authored this book, Mariable, together. Uh, the subtext is taking the desperate out of dating. Yes, and there's a picture of a person on the cover with a... Uh, what is that kind of phone called? A cordless? Yes. Oh my a God. cordless phone. <laughs> well, there's no cord, um, so you are correct. I'm old. Okay. Do you remember, when, uh, do you remember getting like your first one of these like at your yes. house? Oh my gosh, with caller ID. So you could yeah, just never answer the phone ever. <laughs> that was my favorite thing that's ever been invented. <laughs> It would be fun to uh, to make like a Pixar movie that's like a almost like Toy Story, but instead it's like a cordless phone. Like he's the bell of the ball and, you know, just everybody's favorite device until like the mid 2000s. And he starts getting used less and less. Yeah. When the, the like little push little, little flip phones come out and stuff. Yeah. He sees him playing with with smartphones and. He gets a little like pixelated sad face and <laughs> slowly gets relegated to the dustbin of history. Oh, he hasn't been every goodwill. It's fun. Yeah. <laughs> right next to the power tools with no yeah. batteries. I mean, he makes a lot of friends. It's kind of like Island of Misfit Toys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so I'll, I'll read this summary on the back of the book here. Just to, just so you got a, an idea of what this is with the tone. Okay. Uh, at the top, it says, oh, great. Another book about being single and finding, <laughs> quote, the one, right? Wrong. This isn't a typical dating guidebook. The type of book you're thinking about offers a 15-step program, a scientific formula, or tries to spiritualize the process. But does it have chapter titles like these? Oh, man, get ready. How being just friends is a waste of time. Desperate lies women tell themselves. Men lie to get what they want. I mean. <laughs> nice guys really do finish last. And the best one, my favorite, don't marry your best friend unless you're gay. Yeah, and it's not because they approve of the gays. <laughs> Definitely not. Yeah, they're... They, they're... <laughs> right. Oh, perfect. In, in Marriable newlyweds Haley and michael demarca they're they're newlyweds that's what that explains everything oh my god this is like young youth pastor energy oh my gosh sure. if, if they're youth pastors that would be the the least surprising thing i've ever heard <laughs> young newlyweds Haley and michael demarco offer practical wisdom for surviving singleness in the trenches Writing from their experiences of doing it all wrong so you can do it right, Haley and Michael set fire to the so-called rules for dating success and give you real dating advice that won't send a potential date running in the opposite direction. Oh, no. Oh, hello there, fellow kids. 
Here's here's the most uh, accurate statement here. With a witty he said she said style, which we'll get to. Mm-hmm. Just just you wait. Mariable will help you expose and eliminate your desperate dating habits by helping you understand yourself and the opposite sex. Whether you're in in a new relationship or haven't dated in years, this revolutionary book will show you how to turn desperate into marriable. Can't wait. <laughs> Haley and Michael DeMarco have more than 40 years of dating desperation between them. After meeting online, they have found wedded bliss or something like it. <laughs> and a passion to write and creatively package relevant books through their company, Hungry Planet. They live in Nashville, Tennessee. Hmm. And she's wearing a... uh, A newsboy cap. It's like the Hillary Duff circa 1999 train engineer. That would be the Metamorphosis album, which came out in 2002. I don't know. I don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) If that paints a clear enough picture of the era for you. Yes, 2000s, you know. So we took a little sneak peek at this just to kind of get some uh, context. And uh, the chapter that we started looking at was uh, Nice Guys Really Do Finish Last. And in it, they kind of give some advice about how, um, you know, the as a, as a male, which we're going to... They use the words male and female a lot, yes, which is like. how you know it's scientific advice. The females, the female <laughs> brain, the male brain, um, about how men uh, shouldn't be like emotional. You shouldn't showcase your emotions or forecast your feelings, especially not too early. And about how like girls like the bad boy. Uh, it's not not stereotypical at all. So uh, this is we're kind of jumping in like midway through the chapter here after they've, you know, clearly laid out a case for some of this stuff. And uh, we thought we'd start here. Okay, this is a section that says the bad boy versus the nice guy on a date. And around the text box, they have uh, a leather bomber jacket on one side and then a sport coat on the other. And clearly, bad boys like the leather bomber jacket. Oh, I think when you were look showing that to me earlier, I thought you, I thought sport coat meant like a varsity jacket. That's why I was like, which one's <laughs> which? <laughs> so only nice boys wear suits. The guy that wears this bomber jacket, I see him. Maybe this is just drawing from personal experience too closely, but like. I feel like a pair of fingerless gloves is a big part of his wardrobe. Yeah, the really skinny, like a he's like a like a Wish Matrix costume. Yeah, <laughs> he's got the skinny little glasses and he has spiked hair. Thinks he's like he thinks he's Neo or something like that. Dorfy, which actually, yeah. <laughs> okay, so it says bad boy extremes and nice guy extremes. Um, and we'll just contrast these back and forth. Um, so starting with bad boy extremes, it says overly masculine. Nice guy extremes, overly feminine. Silent. Talkative too early. Cocky. More emotional than her. What does that mean? Uh, he has feelings and lets her know that he has feelings. He's not a rock. <laughs> 
he doesn't spit on her enough. Yeah. He doesn't show up to the date like, hmm, okay. Here's here's <laughs> a good contrast because this is this is two ends of the polar scale that clearly uh define like nice and or bad boys and nice guys. It says checking out the waitress versus too loving too soon. Oh my gosh. I don't even know. I just I don't They're, know. Like I guess for reference in the previous sections they were they're saying that you should be more like the bad boy. Yeah, but- you want to channel the bad boy early on in the relationship. And then after you uh and that you've led her along with like as little emotional support and like uh you know mutual feeling of adoration as possible then you spring i love you on her yeah you manipulate her into becoming attached to you and then you are the one that says i love you she says i love you first you say mm, that's nice and then you say it the next night or something like that. <laughs> I think it was like, it was like the guy has to say, I love you first. Yeah. That was a huge thing. Like apparently this list, the sentence is a critical moment. You, you have to, you have to get the female to the point where they're just dying to say, I love you. And only then can you say it. But if she says it first, you got to no. reset because gotta... she can't say it first. No. So you have to say something like you either have to like kind of not respond or you have to say something like, thank you. I think we got something special going on here. Let's keep it going. It's great. It's uh, if anyone's seen Always Sunny, it's like the Christian Dennis system. (laughs) It really is. That's like exactly what it's laying out here. There was a there was a long discourse on like when and who should say i love you first yeah it was like a big part maybe i should just jump back to that real quick yeah there's a couple blurbs they do like some back and forth like little instant messenger things because the 2000s and you know cyber things (laughs) yeah it, it looks like little text boxes like they're sending messages back and forth to each other um oh man what is this Nice guy says, I love you before the girl is ready equals turn off. Girl says, I love you before guy is ready equals still in the game. Guys, you can rescue your almost loved one with this response. Never say it back if she's the first one to say it. If you think you're, go- you're never going to feel it, you need to use this opportunity to let her know. But if you do love her, somewhere along the line, you miss the signs of her love. You'll need to recreate the event so you can say it first, in quotes, showing her you are able to read and lead her emotionally. Ugh. Things will be awkward. <laughs> Which is the understatement of the century. <laughs> Things will be awkward, but be patient. Cover your tracks with, we've got something special here. Let's keep it going and regroup. Okay, manipulate. Think of your how you're going to manipulate her into thinking oh no and then you are the one who says no i i love you later the 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 next paragraph starts with she'll most likely be crushed (laughs) (laughs) maybe you know 
or at the very least uh, embarrassed with your non-response. But she'll never have to wonder if you just said it because she said it. But what? How was... Okay, I guess it doesn't matter if she says it because he said it first. <laughs> it's, it's special because uh. I created so much self-hatred in you first. Yes. Now you're just like, oh, <laughs> he does love me. Uh. <laughs> it says you need to understand the important fact that the bad in the bad boy isn't what really ultimately attracts the female. <laughs> The female. <laughs> the male in the bad boy is what attracts her. The bad boy lacks overtly female characteristics. So early on, he is an easier place for the female psyche to find what she craves in a man. Maleness. <laughs> the nice guy's maleness might be hidden behind his, quote, feminine side. Ugh, gross. Oh, yeah. Get out of here. Feelings? <laughs> Who needs that? I bet this guy watches The Notebook. Oh, my God. <laughs> Dude, that was every youth pastor's favorite joke about oh, that sort of thing gosh. for a while. I was like, oh, you know, you you might, you know, your wife wants you to watch The Notebook with her. Uh, they had like a pool of five jokes between all past pastors ever. Yeah. <laughs> You know, one thing about women is they like chocolate. Oh, yes. Every time. It doesn't mention chocolate in here, which no, is I mean, concerning. Uh, they're newlyweds, so. That's true. Maybe he hasn't discovered that part of the female psyche yet. <laughs> All right, so jumping back to our, uh, our, our bad boy extremes and nice guy extremes. It says, disinterested, overly interested, unimpressed. Nervous, okay. overly physical, overly emotional. What does overly physical mean? Uh, trying to grab <laughs> the lady's body parts. Body parts? I guess like, so. Like trying you, to, like, oh, let's go back to my place. If you get groped, you should be like, yeah. whoa, wow, slow you a, need to tame your bad he's boy. A bad boy. <laughs> You're turning off my female psyche. I know the bad boy is supposed to turn on the female psyche. I, there's a line in there though that somewhere around groping, yeah, right where before it, it counter, where it starts to be counterproductive. You're supposed to wonder he might grope me. That's supposed to be intriguing, apparently. A sense of danger. Yeah, like I should. Did I? T you the on a good first date, <laughs> you as the female, you should think to yourself, did I tell anybody where I was going tonight? <laughs> this is giving hunter prey. Hunter prey. <laughs> primal hunter primal prey yeah what now i know what now i know what they're doing yeah oh it's it is tapping the primal the primal prey side yeah, yeah. um so there's a note at the bottom and maybe this kind of expands upon it i say it says uh what bad boys and girls which i think that's the first mention of bad girls. wow i didn't think that was the thing that should exist in their universe yeah throw them away <laughs> Uh, what bad boys and girls have learned is that the bad boy extremes win out over the nice guy extremes every time. Sorry. <laughs> While the nice guy extremes are less harmful, most women would rather have the bad boy. Any of you ladies who might have been reading this and saying, oh, I'd take the nice guy over the bad boy any day. Consider this. Are you looking for a man or a lapdog? 
Seriously, if you want a guy who is at your beck and call, aren't you essentially looking for a loyal follower? I've got those. (laughs) It's not all it's cracked up to be. (laughs) JK, JK, JK. Five star feet. JK, give me money. (laughs) That's five star feet. (laughs) One who will cater to all your needs. In this kind of position, the female is bound to lead an unbalanced relationship with that will turn a nice guy into a quietly angry guy. Ah, uh, bliss. What? <laughs> uh, my female brain is confused. That's a, yeah, that's a very disjointed paragraph. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> so, okay, so then it goes into a portion that says, Steps toward never hearing again. You're a nice guy, but if you, the male of the relationship, have ever said something like, how come you act more like a man than a girl? (laughs) What? Wait. Is he saying, telling the woman that she's acting like a man? I guess. If you, the male of the relationship, have ever said something like, how come you act more like a man than a girl? Sorry, female brain again, I guess. Then you've just diagnosed yourself as the nice guy. And I don't what? know that that's true. <laughs> <laughs> if, you're, if you're asking your date how much, how come you act more like a man than a girl, like you're off to a okay. bad start. First of all, the, the the man, okay, man and girl is an interesting sort of word choice instead of man and woman or boy and girl man okay all right well well he's looking for a girl yeah okay oh yeah and certainly not a man no i guess not you know uh so what do you do now uh how do you make sure that your next dating adventure doesn't end in friendship alone here are some steps to help you become less of a nice guy and more of and more a guy she wants and then it goes and we got numerical order. Let's see. There's five steps. Okay. Get your pen ready. Can't wait. Oh my gosh. <clears throat> oh my gosh. Can't wait. Number one, don't tell her you love her too early on. Make sure she is dying to hear you say it before you ever do. There's something to that. That's what we were kind of talking about this like earlier is that there's some like actual decent like principles in here masked in the worst possible yeah there's like like, a chapter of nonsense and then like the last sentence is like oh well that's you know that's reasonable i think uh but then the rest the things surrounding it or the the rationale behind it is very very odd (laughs) yeah like there's probably not words you should just throw around at least in that you know romantic context i guess but yeah, it's like there's some ideas in there that have also have helped me, like when I was reading the dateable book, maybe. But like, you know, I probably absorbed a lot of not great ideas as well. Yeah, it's like uh, I feel like that one. Maybe it's more like it's more of a question of like, well, do you actually like love this person that you want to say this to, or are you just like kind of desperate for validation? Yeah. 
and desperate is bad. Yeah, apparently desperate is bad. Also an underlying theme of the book. But only women can be... Well, no, no, no. They're like, women are... I guess that's, you know, digging in too deep. Okay, let's go. Let's go. (laughs) Number two. Don't get too far ahead of her emotionally. Women love a guy who knows how to lead. Guys should define the relationship. What? (laughs) When the time comes, say, I love you first and keep the relationship on track. But part of this is knowing your timing. Get too far ahead of her emotionally and you lose. It's all a game, fellas. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. It's not like a It's going to make it harder for you to trick her if, yeah. uh, if you get off too far of her emotionally. Yeah. You got to learn the manipulation tactics so that you can read where she is. Not if you feel it, but if you know where she is, then you can pretend to be one step ahead at all times. Yeah, think of yourself as kind of like uh, you're an anglerfish waiting on the bottom of the reef. Mm -hmm. And you have this little lure on your forehead in the shape of a I love you Valentine's heart. Yeah. And you're wiggling it and you're wiggling it. And the and the the primal prey is getting close. The female. But if you just rattle that thing around too much and then lunge, you know, you're going to you're going to scare her off. Yeah. Don't let her know you're excited about it. Because the, the, the primal prey is going to be like, oh, it's so feminine. Oh, and then run away. <laughs> Number three, don't talk more than she does. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Girls love a guy who talks with her, but she also likes to be heard. So don't try to compete with her in the area of talking. Always lag a bit behind to keep her guessing. <laughs> yeah it's just like it's like don't don't have conversations you know <laughs> just sit there this is another one where it's like everybody sat at dinner with someone that like is so anxious to talk about themselves that they like don't even hear what you're saying yeah or worse to be in a group setting where like it's like mm. passing a spoon where it's like, oh, it's your turn to talk yes. about you. It's round, round robin with fun facts about yourself the whole time. But then when it gets to you, they skip over because they want to talk about themselves again. It's like nobody hears or interacts with anything that anyone else says. They just kind of like, like, oh, my, my turn, my yeah. turn. Let me tell you about me. Yeah, but apparently this is saying don't do that. Just let her do it herself. Just let her talk about herself over and over again and don't offer anything of value in return. A good tricker doesn't talk too much. No. That's the the point. (laughs) Yeah, don't be an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Number four, have a life. Okay, well that, I guess we'll see what it says about that. But Guys who suddenly make the girl their entire life are boring. Girls want to see you with your friends, playing sports, working on cars. Working on cars. Whatever. (laughs) Just have a life so she doesn't feel like she has to support you emotionally. That's your job for her, not hers for you, at least early on in the dating relationship. (laughs) So, like, if you're a girl... Don't have a life. No, don't have a life. He is your life now. Yeah, you kind of exist He supports you emotionally. His life. Or wait, no, you support him emotionally. Wait, I don't know. Yeah, you support him emotionally. He you, leads you, you emotionally are shell, by being distant and reclusive. Yes. You are a shell of a human being chasing after this this man who acts in disinterested 
in you. Well, he's mysterious. Yes. Same thing, right? (laughs) Note, as the relationship progresses toward and into marriage, big jump, okay, the relationship grows and matures, and all of these things change. But you're making a mistake if you take the relationship there too quickly. Uh, That only makes you just another nice guy. We are talking about getting you marriable. And this puts you in a better position. Okay. Okay. I don't know. Like, the, it's like the thing that we said. It's like the principle, like, yes, have a life, have hobbies. Don't make that, like, the other person your entire being when you're dating. But it's surrounded by nonsense. Yeah. I feel like, uh, like, it's you need to have things going on yeah like you have to have hobbies you have to have things you're interested in that you can talk about like contrary to this person's belief it's it is good to be able to talk about things that you're interested in on dates that's a good idea yeah like have things to talk about i don't know what do i know (laughs) it says uh attention men Women Uh-oh. want to feel feminine, and the quickest way to help them feel feminine is to be masculine. Grope them. Just grope them. Grope them, yes. Yes. That I mean, nothing makes you feel more like a woman than walking down the street and having somebody grope you, I guess. So, sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so, yeah. There's, a, there's a, a summary here at the end of the chapter, which, you know, we only looked at one small part of it here, but it says, uh, turning desperate into marriable. In review, nice guys are desperate to share too much too soon, and bad boys are desperate to bury their softer side as flawed weakness. Meanwhile, back on the estrogen ranch, <laughs> girls who take <laughs> That is a direct quote. That's clever. (laughs) He's really good at writing. (laughs) He is. He's a genius. Uh, Meanwhile, back on the Estrogen Ranch, is that the one from Yellowstone? Estrogen Ranch? Yes, probably. I mean, I'd I'd put that on a a dish towel. Estra Dutton. (laughs) Uh, Girls who date bad boys are desperate to believe they can change them. And girls who date nice guys are soon freaked out when the nices share too much too soon. (laughs) Reversing these habits and patterns in your dating life will not only increase your marriability, but also help you choose more marriable people to date. Uh, Okay. Remember, nice guys finish last, and bad boys aren't far behind. At least they have them leather jackets. Yeah, you know... (laughs) (laughs) well uh okay i hope everybody learned something from uh this passage in marriable taking the desperate out of dating by Haley demarco and michael demarco and uh you know you can find this at your local goodwill yes if you want to read more that's where we found it (laughs) it is yeah so um go ahead and introduce our guest for this week uh it's not Haley demarco <laughs> oh, man, maybe I someday to talk to her though anyway i should see if i can find her but uh our guest this week is comedian imani Dene, and uh 
we kind of stumbled across Imani on, I think, TikTok. But she's kind of got a pretty good following on Instagram as well. But uh, she's a young comedian from Portland and is kind of making a big splash. She's got some really funny bits and stuff that are uh, that are on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram. And uh, she grew up in a pretty fundamentalist Christian environment for at least a portion of her life. She is a very strange story that uh, you will not see the curve coming. I certainly didn't. I was blown away. But uh, just a, a, a cool person to, to talk to and a really great comedian that's she's headed towards big things. So it was cool to talk to her. I'll put all of her info and stuff down in the bio so you can follow her on uh, on all the things. But if you search Imani Dene, then you'll find them. So, uh, yeah, if you like the show, share it with friends. Leave us a review wherever you listen to it. And don't forget that we have a Discord server where uh, cool fellas like April. Yes, I lurk in there and sometimes talk. My, you know. my divine feminine. Not more than the males, though. I got I to gotta pace myself. Once in a while, I have to give her a disciplinary grope and say, hey, it's too much. It's Stop too yakking. Much. It's too, much, too much talking. Let the men lead on Discord. <laughs> yeah. It's a great time. Yeah. But join us. Joe, if you can find it in the, we've got like a, a link in our Instagram bio where you can, you can jump in there and uh, yeah, enjoy our conversation with Amani Danae. Hey, everybody. We are back with our guest, Imani. Hey, Imani. What's going on? Not much. Just sitting here. Yeah. <laughs> In my head. <laughs> no, I feel like your name is perfect for, like, reverend as a prefix. Like, the reverend Imani today would, yeah. <laughs> would be great. Yeah. That would work. Uh, Almost worth pursuing a Bible degree. Ooh. Some no, of us made that mistake. At, at least one of us on this podcast made that mistake. <laughs> uh, Imani, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, yeah, very excited to talk to you. Me. It's uh, like we were saying before we kicked this off, big fans of your comedy. Um, I feel like I'm pretty recent to it. Uh, so I'm very glad that uh, we were able to get this together. It's It's been, I think, TikTok. I feel like TikTok is where... I might have seen it first. That's where I've been finding a lot of things lately, which I didn't think I'd be saying uh, because I denigrated TikTok relentlessly for a long time. <laughs> but here we are. TikTok is a great teacher. So yeah, it, I love it. <laughs> it tells you what you like, which is cool because sometimes I don't know anymore. I feel like it's confusing. So when TikTok's just like you, this is this is probably what you'd like. And I'm like, well. At least somebody knows because I didn't I didn't get awesome Christmas gifts. You know, the people who <laughs> love me don't know what I like, but TikTok's delivering. So that's sick. TikTok knows that you like stand up comedy and anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> it's like really like I discovered I like to call it anthropology um, TikTok where I just have been typing in businesses and saying employee and then seeing people at their jobs and like the things that they have wrong with their jobs and like all of that. Yeah. People oh. just posting like vent videos about vent their videos company. about their jobs. <laughs> That's awesome. You know what I've never done is searched. Uh, I kind of didn't 
think of that as a function. I've never searched for anything on TikTok. I just let it deliver. Uh, I, <laughs> I love that idea. I found out how uh, to fold my laundry in a very efficient way <laughs> from TikTok. With a, did you like save an Amazon cardboard box and uh, like the right size? And no, there's so this three it, second fold where you just like you like pinch your shirt a certain way and then you can just flip it and fold it to itself. Like oh, a, you're man. almost like a magician. I need that. Yeah. Shirts are. It takes me a long time to fold anything, but like shirts are definitely the worst. Yeah. Like that's where th- those really suck up my time, and then they still get all. I'm not good at it. They still get all wrinkly <laughs> and stuff. The hard part is like I I own like I I don't even know how many t-shirts. Probably like 55 just regular like t-shirts, and I I have to fold them in a certain way in order for them to fit on my shoe rack because I have nowhere else to put them. So there's just 50 <laughs> t-shirts on a shoe rack in my closet, and every time I have to wash something and put it back, I have to figure out a way. I don't know. They're stacked on top of each other in two rows. And so if I want a shirt on the bottom, there's no way of not fucking up all the shirts on the top. <laughs> hang them. I feel like, like so- people who hang t-shirts, that's a lane. I, I think about doing that and then um, they always end up, I don't have enough places to hang things, but yeah, there's always people who like hang there because they don't want them to get creased and shit, creased. but Okay, well, here's a very pedestrian uh, a question for you then. Do you organize, okay, like your, you got like your hanging clothes and then you got your folded stuff. Do you, or by what like uh, quality do you organize them? Do you organize them by color or do you organize them by like type or, because my wife and I are very divided on this. Normal person. (laughs) I just put it on a hanger and shove it in the closet. Yeah, maybe I'm no overthinking it too much. There used to be, there used to be. I just in the last few years have given up on my closet. It's just a, it's such a small closet that I don't care. I'm just shoving it in there. When it was bigger, like in my old place, I had a much larger closet, so everything was kind of organized into a particular place. Um, it wasn't necessarily organized in those places, but. They're just like, oh, all my jackets are gonna go over here. All of the long sleeves here, t-shirts here. But no, it's not like that anymore. It's just shove it in the closet. A lot of things I'm too lazy to hang up, so they're just folded on my shoe rack. And I moved all my shoes a row lower, so I had some space to put some more Casey, clothes. <laughs> Casey's. That's the only time that there's like any any real like DV calls on him and his family is like when she when his wife puts his like shirts in the wrong order he loses his mind yeah i'm like this should be filed under mauve (laughs) i used to work at a goodwill and we had to um color coordinate all of the clothing when we hang it up which is like what led me to have an organized closet because i knew the color coordination of goodwill it's so all my clothes hung up you get that perfect rainbow gradient across the rack (laughs) it is satisfying (laughs) to see I've never walked into a Goodwill and felt like they organized it at all in any way. So the ones in Oregon do, (laughs) they're all color coded. It's so, it's so silly. I hated that aspect of the job. Like what difference does it make? 
if TikTok was around, you could have put your event videos on it. That's I know. Stop. <laughs> yeah. Things I hate about working at Goodwill. First of all, the customer base. <laughs> it's like a bunch of hipsters that are trying to find old shit to look cool. Getting yeah. mad at poor people for standing in their way. <laughs> that does make me angry. And a weird amount of people there. who steal. It is crazy how many people steal from Goodwill. Oh, what? From Goodwill? Yeah. It's like it's so cheap. A lot. That's what department it's... stores are for. I know. You steal from, steal from the, the person who provided the clothing in the first place. Like the manufacturer. H&M. Exactly. Or... H&M. Any, these fast fashion motherfuckers. Steal from them. Goodwill, come on. I actually used to work at H&M, too. Clothing retail is the bane of my existence I can't do ever again. Yeah. Did they tell you not to tell you about all the slaves that made their clothes when people asked? Did they have like a, were they like, there's a, because there, I worked in telemarketing for a while. And when mm-hmm. you were asked certain questions, you followed a very specific script in regards to how much of the money actually went to the organization you were like raising money for quote unquote. So H and M I know they were one of the, like they're pretty big culprit for fast fashion and cheap clothes, which clothes don't get that cheap without the person on the the front end really losing out. So was there ever, did that ever come up or did H and M I don't work there anymore, but I remember (laughs) that we had, they were practicing sustainable fashion. And if you like brought in clothing, they said they'd get recycled. If you brought in jeans, they'll be recycled into new jeans for H&M, which I don't know how true any of that is. I filed those under like, compost. You get like a discount for bringing in a bag of clothing into the H&M store. Whoa. So people bring all kinds of clothes to H&M when I worked there and get like I... a little coupon. Oh, did you ever have to wash your hands after handling those oh, clothes? I wash my hands so much when I worked in clothing retail because this part of your hand will turn like black from touching those hangers all day long. Oh yeah, the really? dye. It's just I, disgusting. I thought you were gonna talk say they got into like biodegradable clothing, you know. <laughs> I mean that could be an interesting H and M seems like something that would do that. Like they seem like a corporation that would like try biodegradable clothing. It it only lasts six months and before it starts disintegrating. They sell yeah. it as a great idea, but really it's just a it is a to get still fifty dollars or eighty dollars. <laughs> <laughs> I think my first suit came from H and M. I gotta say, <laughs> I'm not proud of that, but you know, like my first time ever having a corporate job, all I did was shop at H and M, get those blazers galore. Yeah, it it I mean it covers all of your uh I work I'm a I I work as just like a corporate cog needs. It worked for me. Uh out of that world now myself, but it That was it like Girl Wash Blazer Depot for a while. Sorry, there's like H&M a truck a outside and it's so loud. I'm just like maybe I can cover the microphone. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Oh, it's all right. It's not coming through much. Okay. <laughs> Dude, so you are a, you're a lifelong resident of Portland, right? Um, for the most part, I, I was born in Portland, and then when I was two, my dad got stationed in Fort Hood, um, Texas, and so we lived in Fort Hood, Texas, until I was thirteen, and then we moved back to Oregon, and 
I lived in Portland, then we moved to Beaverton, and then back to Portland. So, what's where's the where's Beaverton? Justin Beaverton. Beaverton is just like the suburbs. It's just like literally right outside of Portland, like ten minutes drive away. Okay, it's like Portland proper, but less burning cars. Yeah, like (laughs) you start to see the zip code still says Portland for a lot of places that you would consider like suburban. So you're like, oh, this is that's not Portland, that's Beaverton. That's a more suburban version. We have to we have to thank like the residents of Portland for entertaining our parents with like like uh, Midwest disaster porn for the last like <laughs> six years. <laughs> yeah. Portland seems very scary if you watch it only on TV. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it not like the entire city was on fire. I mean, it really was um, on fire. It got to the point where I was like, I'm not going outside anymore. It's scaring me. <laughs> it's too much. Oh yeah. Man. Pretty wild, huh? Yeah. There's like, um, I think it's kind of maybe getting cleaned up now, but there's a huge fentanyl problem in like downtown Portland and tons of people on drugs who are attacking people. Like it wasn't just like, you could just be Whoa. like, just be a drug addict. That's fine. Don't hit people and <laughs> attack people randomly. And it's not like they were stealing. They were just attacking random stra- strangers who walk on the street. It happened so many times. That I was like, I'm not going down there anymore. Just gonna save myself the scare. That's great. I thought that shit only happened when people did bath salts. I I remember that. I feel like that because Fox News is always we we all have, you know. I think <laughs> most of us have Fox News families. At least listeners I know do. Um, <laughs> and it was like there's always a new scare. I mean, obviously, you're rounding every October, they come up with some cool new shit that's in your Halloween candy, but. In general, there's always like a new scare and bath salts. I remember really coming on strong at one point because it turned people into like zombies. They, oh, you just like turn into a crazy person and you just start eating people. There's like stories of people like biting other people and acting like, I don't know, they made it sound like we were like uh, the, which is, they made it sound like the zombie apocalypse was coming, which is what most of them have been preparing for and couldn't be more excited about. But, I didn't know fentanyl well, it might make a it might make a comeback. It went out of fashion pretty quick, but I don't know. Like 2010s is coming back soon, right? It'll be like studded belts, blazers, oh, yeah. and salts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the hallmarks of of that was our my college high years. Year. I, I entered high school in 2010, so it's going to be me seeing people pretend to be my me in my freshman year of high school. Okay. It sounds disgusting, doesn't it? It, it sounds weird it's to, too me soon. to think about like, oh, everyone's gonna they're gonna start wearing like leggings with those high brown boots. Oh <laughs> like that basic bitch autumn package is coming Yeah, back. the autumn package is coming back with the big brown hat. The high brown boots, the big hat, the and then you need hat. like the, the brunch girl poncho. Yeah, it's either like a flannel or a knit poncho yeah. or like a knit like sweater poncho thing <laughs> it's kimonos gonna come back kimonos <laughs> or like the jeans. they're coming back they're coming back again Tight yeah time. i feel like those are already on the rise wait what's on the rise did you say skinny jeans 
Yeah, they started to die down, but I think this new generation is going to bring them back. They were making fun of people for wearing skinny jeans. I don't know. I'm part of this Gen Z generation. Oh, we just lost your mic there. Yeah, I think... I accidentally tapped oh. the mute button. I don't know how <laughs> no that way. happened. I wasn't even touching the computer. But um, Wait, yeah, you, said I, you were saying you're part of the Gen Z what? Generation. No, so, I know what Gen Z. I'm not that old. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I don't know. There's like certain things that we were trying to get rid of. I think getting rid of skinny jeans, that culture was great. I'm like, I'm all for us stopping the skinny jeans. I hate wearing skinny jeans and tight clothing. But I think yeah. that in the next year, everyone's going to start wearing skinny jeans and tight clothing again. Just yeah, I'm always behind on Casey's probably more up on like what at least female fashion trends are because you're your wife keeps in that world. I'm behind his shit on it. And all of a sudden my wife starts like, you know, I guess like the, like the, the, I don't know if you even call them bell bottoms, but like basically that, like all that's coming back at, to varying degrees of flair. <laughs> and I was just like, she starts buying up new stuff. I was like, what is this? And she's like, this is what people wear now. I was like, is it? And she's like, it's definitely what people wear now. You haven't changed in <laughs> 20 years. And I was like, I guess that's probably true, but I don't. <laughs> I mean, I'm I respect, so far behind. I respect somebody who's like consistent all the time. You know, like a cartoon character, just always in the same outfit. I should have been that's <laughs> every, like Dexter from Dexter's Lab. Just yeah, <laughs> code every day. <laughs> I like to think of myself as a Hey Arnold character, particularly. Yeah, like but Arnold. <laughs> I love it. There's nothing wrong with that. It's simple, and it makes. Your life is what changes every day, not your outfit. Hey, well, that's gone through more changes than the average person, too, I think. It, yeah. If you grow there up was, the way we did. <laughs> there definitely was a while there when I was a kid where it seemed like the message was like, hey, it doesn't matter what you wear. Like, you are not your clothing. It's what's on the inside that counts. And then it seems like every year we get closer and closer to being like, you you are your shirt. Your shirt needs to sum you up in yeah. its entirety. <laughs> so <laughs> I totally understand that. My my mom used to pick out my clothes and she would hang them on the side of my bunk bed every morning before school. That's she dope. Was very much like this is how you're going to dress yourself. And like it was very modest clothing up until I came to Oregon and I realized people are a little bit more free about how they just move through life here and i was like oh you guys show your chest i can't even imagine wearing a shirt that doesn't cover the majority of my neck <laughs> covers your adam's apple or where <laughs> i guess where mine yeah. would be but uh steve jobs turtleneck yeah, yeah. <laughs> like we had the like shorts you had to put your arm down your to your like side and like your shorts had to be longer than where your middle finger was or whatever so like that very was a big long, one. long shorts. I don't know. I felt like my mom had like a self-image that she wanted to make sure our family upheld. And so she yeah. was like, I'm going to make sure that my kids dress clean. And they're all it, that together. sucked for girls with long arms, too. They just... <laughs> yeah, dude. I got these T-Rex arms. I could have been real slutty oh, yeah. your, short, your shorts would have been so hot it was, it was a little, <laughs> little cheek hanging out yeah yeah you see across the, that butt. Crease at the bottom. Long arms. I was like, well, 
thick as that. Yeah, your shorts are down to your knees. That's fine. (laughs) So, okay, so let's, so give us kind of a rundown on like, uh, how did you end up in church and what kind of church? I'm assuming that was in Texas where you really remember that picking up. Yeah, Um, I believe I went to church when I was like a baby. My parents are like, They've been together. Well, they're not together anymore, but they got together when they were like 12 and 13. They met in church. They're like wow. super, they were both very super Christian young people. Um, started family young. Like that kind of, was kind How of young. If they started dating at 12 and 13, I'm guessing they were like, did someone's parents have to sign off on their marriage? <laughs> <laughs> they... <laughs> It's weird. They started dating and they broke up and dated and broke up and like that kind of stuff. Um, I have four half siblings because of the, the dating and breaking up. Yeah. Okay. My parents had me at 22 and 23. So they were okay. in That's a respectable they age. They already had five kids. <laughs> okay. My dad already did. Whoa. <laughs> my dad had five kids, four kids already. And then I was the fifth. And then my mom and him had two more kids together. Damn. Yeah. So one of seven. That's a big family. Very big family. We didn't all move to Texas because I have half siblings, but there were times where we all, seven of us, lived in a house in Texas together. The bunk beds were pretty essential. Yeah. We had three bunk beds in the girls' room, and then there was like two in the boys' room. Whoa. Man. Yeah. That's a barracks at that point. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> is that where you got it? I mean, you said your dad was in the military. You said he was stationed somewhere. He got the inspiration for uh, how to yeah. de- decorate a child's bedroom from being in the military. Yeah, it was. I always felt a little claustrophobic to have that many bunk beds in a room. Yeah, there's no room for stuff. Did you have stuff? In my bed. <laughs> <laughs> I think my bed just became like where everything stays. I have like little tuck things underneath the bed. I used to keep my Bible under my pillow because I was superstitious as a child. And I thought that's how you got good dreams. Oh. Is you sleep on the Bible. That's an understandable theory. Yeah, that one it works. Could, I mean, if you, if you sleep Old Testament up, it could go really far <laughs> the other way. <laughs> you're You're now just like... Getting slaughtered or doing I some slaughtering. Even more scared. Yeah. <laughs> I have a dream. I, was, I had a dream. I was eating shrimp cocktail, and someone threw rocks at me until I was dead. See, <laughs> so, so okay. So for you growing up, uh, it was you guys. You went Bible being under your pillow. Clearly. Uh, that that we went to church a lot. Up. Yeah, I think my mom and dad at one point were using church as childcare services. <laughs> we were at church like four days a week. Uh, my mom was like in child; she like did childcare at the church that we went to, and so she was always there for like whatever it was, like um, Bible study groups, um, the choir rehearsals, um, the services. She was always at church because she had to be there for to watch other people's kids. And so we were always there with her, um, being there with all these other kids with parents involved in the church. So it was like a tight knit, like 
friend group that I would have that were just other kids whose parents worked at the church. Yeah, probably got a lot of animal crackers, though, huh? A lot of goldfish, (laughs) a cup of goldfish and some juice or something. What was the juice? The the standard juice of choice. What what were you mostly working with? Was it the the hugs? Oh, apple juice. Or it would be like those containers that look like a little barrel. And yeah, hugs. Is it hugs? Hugs? Oh, no, hugs are it? diapers. Hugs is the. the is that drink, what they right? are? Yeah. Is that, yeah. Or the ones that you twist off the top and there's a tiny little. Oh, squeeze it. Squeeze it, dude. <laughs> you drink those two things. Yeah. A lot of goldfish, though. I remember goldfish were like a staple thing that we would have for our snack. And we'd watch a lot of movies. Um, Wallace and Gromit, I think, was one of the ones. Oh, or yeah. Chicken yeah. Run. I think Chicken Run is a movie I've seen so many times at church. <laughs> is that a Christian movie? I don't. Oh, it's Mel Gibson's really. in it. So, yeah, I guess. But <laughs> maybe. That, that was Boris so Johnson's much. first break. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're making a second one. I was like, I might have to see it just because of the nostalgia of Chicken Run in general. Yeah. Chicken Run is, 2. Is Mel back? He needs to be back. He needs the money. He's got to reprise that role. I know. He spent it all on lawyers when he said a lot of hateful things about a lot of people. (laughs) (laughs) It sucks to leave bad voicemails. Maybe people should stop doing that. But this is Gibson? (laughs) What? This is Mel Gibson? Yeah. yeah. Was he the voice of the chicken or what? Yeah, he was the chicken. Wasn't he the chicken? He was like the rooster in Chicken Run, I think. I haven't seen that movie in so long. <laughs> like, right like, I didn't even know who Mel Gibson was at that point in my life. That's true, because I didn't know he was in it until you said something. <laughs> I was like, Wouldn't oh. it be funny to find out that he really phoned it in on Passion of the Christ because he was so excited about Chicken Run? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, once I get this movie done, I get to do it. It's kind of a cult classic in a way. So, a Passion of the Christ or Chicken Run? <laughs> Both of them, but depending on who you ask, one of them is a lot cooler than the other. (laughs) Oh, man. Passion of the Christ was like when people like when Christians, I want to say I might get my times mixed up here, but I want to say it was competing with a lot of the like, you know, saw hostile, like the brutal horror films that were really starting to drop. That people were getting all up in arms about that Christians had a huge problem with. And then they were just like, but we still, like everybody else, do need a little bit of like gratuitous violence. So then they say to eroticism, passion yeah. of the Christ. I wasn't yeah. allowed to watch it. My mom was like, oh, it's not really for kids. And yeah. So I was like, okay, well, I guess it's I probably watch a them. good choice. <laughs> yeah. On her part. Was... It was horrific. It was, it was very was awkward, awkward too in the theater because, like, we like went to it with the group. Church for it too. That was the fun did part. They? Yeah, so I was at church because my mom did childcare. <laughs> just in the back, like this against the wall. We were just like in a whole separate room, and like all the parents were like, you could smell the popcorn. Because I went to a mega church in Texas. It has a new name now, but. Yeah, oh, what was the mega church? What was the name of it when you were there? I... It is called Grace Christian Center. Oh, I don't think I know that one. Christian yeah. Center. Is did they change the name because like the mega church pastor had a fall from grace or something? Or 
Um, he died. Um, <laughs> Not a fall well, from grace. Him and like some no. of his well, constituents all died. The, the ultimate brutal, disgrace. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How dare you? Car accident. Oh shit! Really? Mangled. Yeah. Okay. I was. <laughs> Yeah, how dare he? What a loser. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I wasn't sure if there was like a sex scandal and they were like, we should rebrand, you know? I mean, but, there could have been because they didn't change the name like right away. I just know that like the last time I tried to look him up, I was like, why can't I find this church? And I was like, oh, and maybe I'll just look on Google instead of Facebook. And then as soon as I saw Google, I was like, oh, same location, completely different name. So <laughs> there was maybe like there campuses. was a scandal. Yeah, it was a pretty big church. There was like three campuses, the children's like little kids campus. I think it went all the way from like babies all the way to like fifth graders. And then there was like the high school, middle school campus, and that was their own campus. Yeah, it was like huge churches for each of these like groups. And there was a basketball court inside of the um, teenage kids' church. And there was a skate park, but then they changed it to an arcade. They went through construction and put an arcade. Both cool things. Both cool (laughs) things. What what kind of games were in the arcade? Um, Not Street Fighter. Like Noah, the Noah Noah video game? Console games, like PlayStation games. And um, I remember they had Lego Lord of the Rings. That was one of Whoa. the games. There we go. There. Lego Lord of the Rings. They did have Guitar Hero. What youth, that was a youth group is favorite. Yeah, it was like required at youth group. Yeah. yeah like sometimes you had to glorify God with uh, through the fire and the flame. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like a bunch of really awkward kids in their super high jeans just standing there with the guitar hero controller and their tongue out <laughs> like unnaturally good at it because they have no friends at home <laughs> there would be lines for guitar hero at church which is interesting. guitar hero like was like the next generation's uh dance dance revolution which we actually had dance dance revolution too but it wasn't unfortunately it was only on the controller they didn't have the little pad that you would step on Ooh, so you had weak. to like hold the controller in your hand and push like up or side or push the two side buttons on the same time <laughs> i went weird to a way to play that game of all things yeah. yeah i went to a barcade maybe like i don't know almost a year ago it's uh you know well past dance dance revolution era but they have it there and i was like there was a kid on it just fucking tearing it apart i couldn't i was shot and he had to be close to my age he was at definitely 30s and i was like this is nuts there's a 30 year old in the world that can like rip this hard on is dance, dance those, is he one of those guys that like leans against the bar no he has hands the game. not touching the bar no <laughs> bar touching the bar and then you just got to do like a like an airstrike with your feet <laughs> windmill leg <laughs> That's just so difficult to me. I, my hand-eye coordination, it's not aligned. So same reason why I, I don't know if I can do multitasking with my body. I can't do Guitar <laughs> Hero. That was impossible. I tried. Guitar Hero just didn't work for me. It's just 
I couldn't put those two things, those two actions together of like turning the thing, push the button, turn the thing, push yeah. the button. <laughs> it was, it was the click. It was tough. It, it was, was very, very tough. Rock it cost me like a semester of bad grades in college when somebody on the door, Tim, Tim Cyphers got a, got guitar hero. And I think most of us failed our classes that year. <laughs> Rock band was the other one that like killed because it introduced drums and sold oh, yeah. a lot more equipment. It filled dorm. I mean, the equipment for rock band filled college dorm rooms. It was excessive. Everyone argued over playing the drums. Nobody was good. It was <laughs> rock band. Was, that was a weird sell. Uh, but anyway, uh, so you, your church, the, the the campus thing is still kind of blowing my mind. Um, so th- when you say like the middle and high school had their own campus, did the did they go like independently to church? From like yeah. did they independently go without their parents. They like the kids had their own campus and there was a youth pastor for them and shit like that. Yeah. So they had like Oh. I don't know. My parents would drop me off there and then they'd go to their little campus and then go be at the big adult people church. As far that- as you know. <laughs> as far as I know, like yeah. I said, they may have been using it for childcare a few times. <laughs> They emptied out the conversion van and then just went and got drunk. <laughs> swingers club. No, you drop the honestly, kids off at church and go to a swingers club. Honestly, that it's not that far from the potential truth. <laughs> now, did you go to school there too, or was it just church? Um, I didn't go to school at like the church. I did just go to a public school in the the area they didn't have like school which is cool I'm, oh I'm okay and crazy because that's another that's a you know if you get a good campus and you get the space for it that's just some that's just more revenue you know that's free yeah. money essentially why ruin 10 percent of a kid's life when you can ruin 60 <laughs> <laughs> percent? the nice thing is like i don't know i just remember we watched a lot of stuff versus i guess we did get preached to a lot but our youth pastor seemed like a cool youth pastor. They oh, all do. So, yeah, right it was before like they us have sex with someone in the youth group. <laughs> <laughs> that could be a scandal. I know somebody like um, the youth pastor cheated on his wife. Ooh. I don't know if it was. It was they a, kept the who under, under wraps. Yeah, the who was under wraps. He wasn't giving anybody a, a ride to the airport or anything when he. The last time you saw him, was he? <laughs> he wasn't. Was he in the? Uh, was he in the car when they crashed? Oh no, no. Oh okay. He like was a pretty much the, one of the only two pastors who was okay. It was like basically all the pastors who did the adult church, they all died. The three. That's pastors. crazy that they're all in a car together. And yeah, that they was were just coming boom. back from yeah. another church in Austin, back to Colleen. And their car hit a semi truck or something, or a semi truck hit their car, and all three of them died. And then everybody else had to like kind of step up and get involved. In that, and that was ways. after you were done. You said you found that online, right? Or was that while yeah, you were there? I found, I found that out um, when it happened, but I didn't live in Oregon or in Texas at the time. I lived in Oregon. Okay. So I was a senior in high school when they all passed which was kind of sad for me because I was like, I want to go back and like show them I made it. I graduated high school. 
Then they were all gone. <laughs> There's no one left to impress. <laughs> exactly. So <it's> like, oh. <laughs> and I was like, do you still want to go back? I'm like, I don't really have a reason now. So. Yeah. All the people What's I it? wanted to stick it to are gone. Because I don't really have like birth family, like actual family in Texas. It was all just people we knew from like my dad being in the military and like my family being involved in church. So it was not really anybody who was like related to me who's there. So I have no real reason of being there. Plus I haven't seen the church people I went to church with since I was like 13. So I don't know. Yeah. It's not a lot of reasons to go back. No, there's no, no, no earthly family. Yeah. Just, just, you know, your spiritual spiritual brethren. (laughs) (laughs) Just the body of Christ. Yeah, sometimes they like say happy birthday on Facebook, so they they still love me, but Whoa, I love that. Nothing cooler than people in their sixties you haven't talked to in twenty years being like Happy birthday. You're like <laughs> And that's usually like I, I get some uh every year before I took my uh whatever. I get some it's always like have they'll like they'll like type a little prayer blessing and you're just like what <laughs> what, what are we what are we doing? <laughs> My favorite to the Facebook ones where... is now. Facebook is for like Christian moms. That's it. There's no other reason. Yeah, <laughs> it's 100 where I get all my my daily Christian content is my mom posting <laughs> random like scriptures on her her Facebook or Instagram. Hey, that means you're still reading scripture, so she's kind of winning if you <laughs> think about it. Like damn it, now I know what it says in James. <laughs> Oh, that you. book sucks. No, James was actually, I think James, is it James who's just like, I don't give a fuck what you say. Just show me that you do shit that matters and I'll believe you. I, I, I respect that message. I'll respect the book of James a little bit still. I figured you were more of a Timothy fan. Timothy. Uh, Timothy the pastoral pistols can get fucked if you ask me but <laughs> we did a we did a, a whole episode where we made fun of one of them yeah because <laughs> it, it's ridiculous like i feel like i've i've read the bible more doing this show than i ever did <laughs> as a kid and now like some of it is so funny because like the timothy ones that we read it starts off and it's like i paul who is definitely me, for sure 100% Paul, and not somebody else, right to you, Timothy. And it's, it's like the strangest introduction. <laughs> so he's lying. That's not... Yeah, clearly not him. He's writing it 200 years later. <laughs> <laughs> Who wrote to Timothy? Just some oh, random man. hack that had a point to make. Uh, Your so youth you were pastor, the, the cool guy, was he... Did he uh, dress like a teenager? Skinny yeah. jeans. He he definitely did. There was like this thing that um, like lock-ins. Hell oh, yeah! To do at our church. Did and you they... ever make out with your the person of interest at a lock-in? That was like the the like the only reason anyone yeah. attended them. <laughs> I I brought my Nintendo DS to a lock-in, so I didn't <laughs> have to talk to anybody. <laughs> Hell yeah. He's playing like Cooking Mama while I just sit in the corner. <laughs> I also had a three foot teddy bear that I brought to the lock in. Oh, sick! So, so you were like, definitely trying not to make out for sure. Yeah, I was like, I'm just 
Here with God. Yeah. <laughs> my Nintendo DS. We called it. Uh, I had my my youth pastor when I was in high school. It was a. Uh, it was we did a a lock in. It was we had scheduled tag time, which is time alone with God. We just omitted the W. <laughs> At two in the morning. Yeah. Nothing rough. takes the wind out of your sails. You have to like, like go sit in a corner and like pray or just like be silent. Yeah, you all went to like a, a quiet a place by yourself. Now, here's how I here's how I did, I did it. Did that too. There was yeah, there was a girl that I was interested in. Um so I just found I made sure I like sat near where she was sitting so she could see me being like really spiritual and shit. She could overhear him did nothing like for repenting me. for watching uh Fast and the Furious or yeah. something. <laughs> you picked the one series that I've seen no movies of, but sure. I remember my pastor being like like teaching us about speaking in tongues. And he was like, when you don't know what to say, you just speak in tongues. So I'd just be sitting in the corner of the church just saying all kinds of mumbo jumbo out of my mouth. Because I had no idea what to be praying for. And I was like, God knows. God can understand this. (laughs) God knows exactly what I want. It's (laughs) just a nice short thing. Singing some corn lyrics. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Christian scatting is what it is, right? (laughs) Yeah. So, but we didn't do we we grew up in like real conservative like pie. It's just, there's no um there was no speaking in tongues. Like we were we were told that like you got to be real careful with that, and I wasn't sure that that was even okay. So like I've no I, I one of the things I've come to realize is how prevalent that was uh in probably most Christian circles, and um I. Yeah, never heard it, never thought about it as a child. So when I hear about all, like when I learn of more and more people who were like had that experience, I'm like, I mean, I just, it hardly computes. I can't, but I kind of love it. I love the shortcut where it's just like, because I remember stressing over like what to pray. You're just like, especially in a group, you're like, all right, how do I knock this one on the the park so I look like a real good Christian guy right now? And, uh, you know, anytime you come up short with words, you just interject a couple of father gods and <laughs> uh, you just work your way through it. But speaking in tongues would have been one hell of a shortcut for me. I could have used that. Yeah, I think it was strange. I remember being like, what is this thing? Because like the story that I was told is that like our pastor was like in a foreign country and he wanted to pray over the people but he didn't speak their language. So instead he just started speaking gibberish, like speaking in tongues. And, and they all the got people saved. understood what he was saying miraculously because somehow the Holy Spirit made him speak this foreign language and they all got <laughs> saved. And I was like, bullshit. All <laughs> of them. He stole that story from uh, <laughs> the book of Acts. It's called the day of Pentecost. And uh, totally ripped it off. So, <laughs> like, I was like, I don't think that's real. So I, I've never done it before. But it was weird because I went to what I would consider a white church when I lived in Texas. It was very it's the only like, kind they have there, right? Yeah, I mean, unless I'm going to see TD Jakes or something like that. But and I don't even think he has a church in Texas. But yeah, it was very much a white church. And then when I came to Oregon, 
my grandpa's a pastor. So we went to like an old school black church. And it was the first time I ever really witnessed a large group of people who were into the Holy Spirit aspect of Christianity. Because I'd never really seen a lot of people talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit will do. People were dancing down the aisles. And I was like, this is the Holy Spirit does this? Like, like you act like this? I don't know if I want the Holy Spirit in me because you guys look crazy. At least that's what I would think. I was a teenager, though, when I started to see this. So if I was still young and impressionable, it could have been me. But Yeah, going from like you moved, you said 13, to be like 13, 14, 15 and start seeing people like wiling out in the aisles is like. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the whole. What's like, going on here? They're not pretending when they say that like black churches last a lot longer than white churches. Oh, no. There would be points where me and my brother would be like, I have to use the bathroom and we would sit outside of the bathroom so we didn't have to walk back inside of the church. We were so <laughs> tired of listening to the pastor talking or singing praise and worship that we were just like, let's just sit in the bathroom the whole time. <laughs> I don't want to crash the mosh pit. <laughs> every Sunday, your it's like, yeah, I don't know. I just, I have diarrhea every Sunday. I don't Well, like know for my grandpa's you. church, it was like hymnals or whatever. So you'd pick the book out of like the pews and it'd have all these songs that you, but they didn't play music. Like there was Oh, it's band. all acapella? It's all acapella. And you just Whoa. like read these. And there'd be like some sort of tune that people would keep. But it was like you pull up the little pitch thing. We're like, yeah, <laughs> they match it. it. Was very, very like I don't know. I hated it. I did not like going to church when I was going to that church. It was kind did of you, Did you feel any? So going to a mostly white church in Texas and then going to a, a mostly black church, uh, did that? Was there any like racial components to being in a white church where you felt like an outsider and then you didn't feel that way at black church? What was your, like, how would that dynamic work? And was there any like pressure to feel like there? It should feel more at home. I did feel like it should feel more at home, but it didn't. I, I noticed that difference like right away. I'm like, I don't, this is not like the same kind of vibe that I grew up experiencing. Like, there's definitely a completely different, like, it's, imagine going to a concert and then ended up going to a bar and seeing, like, similar shows, but, like, the bar seemed a little bit less exciting than the concert because there's, like, less people there. and <laughs> Fewer pyrotechnics. It's like going to Fewer Emo Night Brooklyn yeah, exactly. instead of Fewer. actually going to see your old favorite emo band. <laughs> exactly. And so it was just, like, I don't know. There was a lot more production in the the white church. It it made it fun. Whereas that's like, how they get you. Ah, oh, those crafty whites. We get uh, the one thing that was nice about black churches is they do serve food afterwards. So we always ate food. That was always nice. Potlucks are fun. Potlucks are one of the bright spots of church. Yes, that's. I feel like that's a question we've gotten away from in a while, but like, what was your go-to dish at the potluck? Like if you saw it on the table, what you getting? Well, there was always fried chicken, which <laughs> always I say, there was just always fried chicken. So I'd, I'd eat that and like mashed potatoes. For some reason I was obsessed with mashed potatoes when I was younger. I think I just pretend to be old and just eat the mashed potatoes. <laughs> 
mashed potatoes fucking ripped. That was like one of my favorite foods my entire life. So I love mashed potatoes um, a lot. And then what else would I eat that was like, I don't know. They would have um, cake. Like somebody would make some sort of cake. Like it would be like a pound cake or something. Sometimes it would be that one with the pineapple. Upside oh, down like cake? Upside down. Yes, the upside down cake. I liked those cakes a lot. Yeah. That's pretty good stuff. There was always like a plate of like real dense brownies around too. Yeah. I feel like I mm. I'd go for those. I stayed yeah. away from the salads. Like anything with a on the plate. Like a mayonnaise or a cold pasta base. Like that's not oh, for that me. Yeah. Also also if it's a if it's a marshmallow based salad, I'm not into it. That shit's fucked that. up. That I every holiday, my wife's grandmother used to make the uh, what the fuck do they call it? It's like Pink Panther insulation. Yeah, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's like a whip. It's like a Cool Whip with just like a bunch of fruit mixed into it, and like it's just ambrosia. It. Yeah, ambrosia. Ooh. That shit is so fucked ambrosia up. Ambrosia salad. I've had I it hate before. it. It's not great, but it's not bad. It's like a fruit cocktail mixed with whipped cream. Yeah, they just like it's like pineapple, maraschino cherries. <laughs> it's like nothing. Yeah. It's not and to call it. I was like, that's when I learned that salad just means you put a bunch of shit in a bowl, and that was it. oh, <laughs> that's salad. It's cold. <laughs> salad is cold casserole. Yeah. <laughs> salad is <laughs> at least two ingredients mixed together in a bowl. I mean, that's potato true. salad, egg two salad. Things, where, two where, things where, that you've never people. imagined together, too. Yeah. Like, like, have you ever thought about putting pecans on your marshmallow fluff? It's like not once, and it's like, well, here's a bowl of it. There's two gallons. Somebody had to do it, and then tell everybody it tasted good, and then that's how the the trend started. Yeah, but the ambrosia salad lives on till this day. Like everyone, someone has to make it every year. My kids like it, so I don't know. I... Ambrosia salad is going to go the way of like uh, crabs. Like they say crabs have died out because everybody shaves their pubes now. (laughs) Uh, Ambrosia salad goes with the boomers. As soon as they're dead, we'll never eat it again. And it's (laughs) something we're celebrating. (laughs) I mean, people aren't really buying fruitcake anymore or eating fruitcake. Yeah. No, they always have like a wall of them at the supermarket and at Christmas time. And I don't know who's eating that. They just have a freak out session every like December when sales are down. They just keep it doesn't ever work it's so dense like you ever pick one of those up it's heavy yeah it's like it's like a tungsten brick <laughs> made of old fruit <laughs> oh, so uh, Imani, the whole time you were in high school the whole so it sounds like you started like getting bored with churches like as a teenager but uh as far as like the idea the beliefs um how all in were you? Or was it just like something you did because it was like just normal and that's what you knew? Or were you like, uh, yeah, I'm about this and it's important and people got to know about it? Um, So I don't think that I ever was like, people need to know about it. I think that when I came to Oregon, I felt a lot of shame for even being somebody who enjoyed church. Um, yeah, way culturally di- way different, right? Way less people. Like everyone probably in the Texas area was like, at least marginally connected to a church. And that was a yeah. huge shift in Portland. In Portland, it was a huge, huge shift. 
where everyone around me did not go to church. Everyone around me is, if you said God, I'd be like, ew, what? That guy. Like, people just instantly. Boo! Yeah, I've actually had a joke about God, and someone just booed me straight up when I said, I grew up Christian. Boo! And I was like, damn, let me get get the joke out. Wow. Get the first, like, fuck. People don't. Uh, I can't care. not cheer. If I'm at a comedy show and someone's like mentions their religious upbringing, you get a, you'll get a drunken cheer from me immediately. Because I'm like, at least say yay, like yay. You also did too. Like no, nope, they just straight up like nah, fuck you. You're yeah. growing up Christian, <laughs> but it was a big, huge culture shock for me to come here because there's so many things that are like not talked about in Texas, or at least where I grew up. Like LGBTQ people are not talked about. There's no sort of talking about, um, like, I don't remember seeing a homeless person before I came to Oregon. I don't think, I, or I came back to Oregon. I don't think I had ever seen anyone who was homeless in my life. And then I came Whoa. to Oregon. Oh, wow. People camp outside. I had no idea. I didn't even correlate those two things. I'm like, they let you sleep out here? That's it's crazy. a difference in policy. I moved, you know, yeah, south of the Mason Dixon, we just paved right over the top of them. Yeah, <laughs> I was literally so surprised that, like, I moved to Portland during Occupy Wall Street, so in the middle of a very big oh, protest, wow. <laughs> like a very big protest was happening, and I was like, "That was wow, a they crazy out here. That's crazy." That was what? a crazy time. I was I was in college when Occupy Wall Street was going on and I, that was my shift like around that time of my life i was like shifting out of conservative evangelical christianity into like i was still very much in in like traditional christianity at that time but like started picking up on some more like progressive values hanging out with some more like progressive christians and was like kind of like getting into the i was like oh like everyone in my like that i knew from back home was just like get a job loser, like that kind of stuff. And then like, I'm like, well, actually maybe this is kind of interesting. But the Occupy thing, that was like, I feel like that was the first protest I knew about and was aware of where I was like, you just all hoped it would go somewhere. And it was like the first of many where you're just like, no, we're just, we're cogs and we do this shit till we're dead. And we're, we have to be miserable because rich people own everything and they don't care how many of us die. So, you know, it was like, the start of my we can do it and then like the real beginning of my we're all fucked and it's all useless <laughs> yeah that's when i moved here to portland <laughs> and that that time was everybody was kind of like on edge i don't know it was just an interesting time to move to portland i i was still kind of religious and christian into high school um in high school is where i first was like what the fuck is happening? Like, I realized the differences so much. My parents actually did come out as um, non-monogamous polyamorous people. Oh, so there, yeah. you, so I was like, yeah, there's there some was truth some truth in that club. Clear statement is my dad ethically actually non-monogamous. Yes, ethically non-monogamous. They moved this other woman into her home that they were seeing, and I was in high school. I was like, what the. Literally everything I knew about God and Christianity came crashing down. Lived on a Tumblr page. Where I put it on my <laughs> Tumblr. What is this? 
<laughs> I was in. I remember having a really bad reaction to that happening, and it made me who I wasn't really going to church prior to that that much, but it made me go to church way more. And I started to oh, go to church okay. every single Sunday because I wanted to make sure we got to heaven because somebody has to pray for us. Because clearly there's something wrong here. Dude, uh, but that is that's a enormous shift. It was very like it was basically my world felt like it crumbled down. Like I went to church so often. I thought I had this understanding of what was wrong and what was right. And that just seems super, super wrong. Like that seemed like it crossed the line of like what was okay and what not okay is to be non-monogamous. Well, (laughs) here's what's funny about non-monogamy. And this is probably the least progressive thing I might say, but uh, we'll go for it. It's, I feel like you, it, it starts with that. You go, maybe we're this. And then it often, often ends in divorce. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, it's, it is. It's, <laughs> that's what happened. They, they got divorced. <laughs> I'm not saying you can't make it work. I'm just saying most people can't make it work because someone eventually gets tired of it or wants to move on or find someone else that they have a stronger connection to. It's, it's a big time risk opening that your life up to multiple partners like that. And, especially with kids like yeah that's so wild to make that choice with kids is like yeah we were all teenagers at the i think my youngest sisters were like maybe 12 so they're like in seventh grade and i was like maybe 11th like a junior or sophomore in high school did that person did she ever try to tell you what to do and act like your mom and you're like fuck off no Surprisingly, it seemed like she was like afraid to like parent us. It's weird. She was like this white woman who came in to live with these seven black kids. <laughs> Were they trying to get their own TLC show or what? <laughs> we should have got one. It would have been interesting. Was there a that conversation? Is a wild dynamic. Like, did yeah, your there, parents there sit you down? There was a conversation. I actually have like a video on my TikTok about this conversation where like they sat us all down in the kitchen. And at this time, my stepmom had already lived with us for a little bit. And like children, dad likes to get his dick sucked by more than one person. (laughs) Oh, thanks, dad. That would have just, that would have made it worse if they said it like that. (laughs) Sugarcoat it next time. But no, like. They had her living with us for a little bit. And in my head, according to like the living situation, I was sharing a room with my sister. My two younger sisters were sharing a room and my brother had his own room. And then they were like splitting like the living room slash room. Like, cause my stepmom had a kid as well. So there was another child in the mix. Um, and so it started like that. And like, I was under this impression that we were being good Christians and opening our home to somebody who needed a place to stay. And so that was like what was going on in my brain. And then when they sat us down and they were like, we love her. I was like, I know God, we're supposed to love God's love. That's love like, your neighbor. Got it, dad. Check. Yeah. I was like, yes. And then he's like, no, we like are in love with her. And my dad was like, I love your mom, man. I love her. And 
I remember my older siblings started laughing hysterically. They thought it was the funniest thing in the world, but they're like from Portland for the most part. Like they spent a lot more time in Portland. This is kind of like maybe funnier to them. I did it. So I was like, what the fuck? And I was like, no, that's wrong. I just remember saying that blanketly. Like, nope, that's wrong. Uh-uh, that's not okay. Nope, you can't do that. Mm-mm. <laughs> Was there any con like pretext of like I've I feel like I've heard some people with kids when they make like some major decision like that they'll be they'll almost kind of like tell the kids as if it's like we want to make sure you're okay with this. It almost seemed like they said it like that, but my parents also don't seem to care about how we feel about anything. They never really did ever in life. So it was kind of like, this is what's happening. Cool. You're going to stay living here. <laughs> Don't try to leave. That was kind of their impression that they they gave the whole time. It's like, yeah, this is what's going to happen. This woman is now going to move into our bedroom. And so we're going to have three people in one bedroom. And then you're, one of you guys are going to share a room with the other kid. So figure out Whoa. which one it is. It's, it would be crazy enough to try to process that as a kid, like, just if 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 all it was was like they were telling you they were in a relationship with somebody, but to then be like, and they're moving in with us, we live with this person now. Like yeah. that, I don't know. I don't know how. I mean, is that? Do you feel like that was ever even a a thing that you thought of as a possibility? Like that type of I relationship? I didn't know about something like that prior to that happening. I had never even heard of anyone doing that. That even being a thing. I was just pre Reddit, maybe no Reddit was around then, right? Yeah, when this was like this? 2012. Oh yeah, Reddit was going 2011 when this is happening. Fedoras were in. So I I remember there was a lot of other things happening at the same time. My sister was pregnant, teenage pregnancy, and then I had a brother who um, was getting arrested a lot for just petty crimes and stuff. So I was like, we already have too much shit going on. I don't know why you guys want to add this fucking situation to the mix. They're like, look, we're stressed. If somebody could do something, like maybe one thing to make my life easier and smoother, that would be cool. Because I am the kid here. (laughs) (laughs) What a why. I can't even imagine what that would feel like to have so like a new partner like as a kid with no concept of that growing up in the christian world that we did to like have a new partner introduced was your were your parents still going to church around that time and was there like no, there was, couldn't have liked no chance church people were cool with it yeah they were not i remember my dad he used to like kind of like volunteer for this pop-up church that this main church used to do in in the portland Everton area so they had like a pop-up church that they would do at a high school so that 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 small community around that high school could have like a church to go to and he just stopped doing that and so I was like okay maybe this is a sign and I remember the day that my parents kind of were like I'm done with this church is because the pastor had did this whole spiel about 50 shades of gray and how like terrible and how bad that is and I remember my mom she's an avid reader and she was reading that book 
at the time that this was all happening. And my mom's a very passionate person to the point where like, if she doesn't like something, she'll verbally say it out loud. And she might even cause a scene. And I think that like, she might've said something to the pastor about how like, it's just a book, like chill. <laughs> and that was like the last time they went to church is like, my mom chose 50 shades of gray over God. And <laughs> So like, good. don't you have joint custody of your husband? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Oh, that is uh, that is so much like that is so much change at like a bedrock level. After growing up in like a conservative, like you know, somewhat charismatic type of environment before that, mm-hmm. dude, that is. Yeah, I, really. Do you have any idea what? Did you have any idea like what spurred that change for your parents? Part of me felt like they were going through a midlife crisis. And then part of me also thinks that like 50 shades of gray really had an effect on my mom. (laughs) Your pastor was right. And here's the thing. It was even worse than like just her reading the book. She started to make whips out of duct tape and she started. Oh, wow. My mom like loves writing. So she's like, writing fan fiction on Wattpad or whatever that fucking <laughs> fan fiction writing app is for Fifty Shades of Grey. So imagine someone tells you that's not a god and then you're like, well, then I won't go to church anymore. That was kind of <laughs> <laughs> That was her logic. Is there, a, is there erotic fanfic? Is it pretty good? Have you read it? Oh, no. God, no, I'm not reading that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't want to know what my mom thinks about sex. <laughs> Not it's like the one that's the one constant amongst all of humanity is like nobody wants to know what their parents think of sex. And we we're all like everyone yeah. <laughs> who doesn't want to know becomes people whose kids don't want to know. It's just the one constant that everyone can you I I'd like to say it's the last bipartisan issue. <laughs> of- Parents, what do your parents do during sex? Just, I don't care. Don't no. you don't need to know. Also, parents don't need to know or want to really know what like their kids are like. There's this whole yeah. like it's like I need my parents to know everything. Like you know, I should come out as someone that likes to do X, Y, and Z. I'm not talking your traditional LGBTQ. I'm talking like I can only get hard if someone with high heels stomps on my wiener. That's it's like your parents <laughs> don't need to know that. They don't want to know that. And it's not coming out to tell them. It's to keep that shit private, motherfucker. You don't need to draft a press release. Yeah. It's like some shit can stay private. I feel like that's what we've lost in the past few years is everyone thinks that every private thing that you used to just do shit in private and be like, this is my community of private people doing private shit. Now it's like as public as a bowling league in the seventies. You just, everyone needs to know your score. And your shirts, you wear shirts for it. Everyone doesn't need to know that shit. I remember the private times. <laughs> they definitely do feel pathetic. Sometimes I wish that I didn't know certain things. I'm like, oh, just yeah. That's your personal business. That has nothing to do with me. And I'm not going to interfere or help you do your personal business. So maybe don't tell me it. Yeah. So That's one boring. time you, you got it worse out there too. <laughs> there was a there was a person that 
not somebody that I knew. It was like an acquaintance of like our friend group at the time. And this, we found out that this person wrote like erotic fiction and posted it on some website. And so I remember one time we had a party and it's not very nice, but we read one of these stories as a group and it was about a, I want to say it was like a vampire lady meets a lizard man in a cave. And it was like this. And dude, it was, it was so insane. (laughs) And I just remember like seeing that person afterwards, just being like, I can't, I can't keep it. I can't keep a straight face. Like you talked about, like you, I, I literally read your paragraph about like, plucking a scale off of your penis and like (laughs) (laughs) oh it makes me so embarrassed to read any of the things that my my mom's written books i've never even bothered reading them like i just she has a book on amazon that i never read my boyfriend's like i'm gonna buy it i'm like you better not (laughs) you gonna plug it (laughs) yeah i think it has the word pineapple in it i think that so okay, this why, so this it's is, one of those. No, this is a callback <laughs> to why you were talking about upside down cake. This is clearly oh, deeply embedded trauma. Yeah, it's hereditary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what so, what kind of uh like what you as a as a teenager moving back to Portland and stuff like what 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 we were like uh, wannabe scene kids that went to metal shows and stuff like that. Like, did you have a, uh, a like a personality archetype that you subscribed to in that time period? During that time, I remember I had some friends who like had like the scene hair um, cut, where it was like big and poofy, like like oh, over their yeah. face, like dyed um, pink or something, pink or green tons of bracelets with like all up and down their arms the heavy uh, scene kid heavy like scene myspace kid. era myspace tumblr era big time i think i was kind of like falling in there but i also had like a basic bitch era as well where it was like uggs and yoga pants i had like those like vests the puffy vest that like yeah. over all the time <laughs> I would wear those all the time. I dress like a soccer mom, like I had children, but I didn't have any kids. <laughs> <laughs> you drove a van that, too that show that up to Dodge Caravan in. drip. <laughs> yeah, I definitely looked like I was like gonna go pick up the kids from someplace. <laughs> like I have a cup that actually has wine in it the whole time, and it has like a funny joke on it, like it's wine o'clock or something. Yeah. Cool. yeah. <laughs> Uh, what was, um, so like you when you found this out about your parents, you start like doubling down on church, but what mm-hmm. was like, what led to your, like, like this isn't exit. it moment. <laughs> yeah. Um, was it I, your parents still? <laughs> Is this like, it came full circle. No, it's weird. I remember I went to church. I had gone to this church like every Sunday, um, all the time since finding out or whatever. And I was 19. I had moved away from my parents, but I had just moved back home because I heard of these rumors of a divorce potentially happening. And so I moved home um, temporarily. The divorce didn't happen at that moment. So I moved back out. But um, you were trying to save your parents' marriage. 
Well, my dad was like, your mom won't make it without me. She needs me in her life and she wants to get divorced. So please move back home. So at least I know she's okay. And I was like, uh, okay. And I moved back for the summer for like three months. And then they were like not getting divorced. So I was like, well, I'm not staying. So I left and moved in with my sister. But at that time I was going to church a lot and I went to church one day and I was like feeling really like depressed about like my home situation and like the pastor, they had that moment where they're like, if you need some prayer, come up to the front of the church and like somebody will put their hands on you and pray for you. And so I went up there, I was really emotional. And I remember the pastor saying to me that like, if I don't convince my parents not to be sinners, then I'm just as guilty in the sin that they're committing as well. And I was like, no, I was just like, nope, that's not true. And I just was like, I'm not going to church anymore. I'm like, if that's the truth, then I'm not going. Like, I am not responsible Jeez. for anybody else's sins. No one can tell me differently. I don't believe in that. Like, that is whatever somebody else got going on. It has nothing to do with me. I'm just telling you, because maybe you can make me be better about accepting them. <laughs> You're but, like, I just need one adult in my life that doesn't put the weight of the world on my shoulder. Yeah. For, <laughs> for real. But he was saying that to me, he said it was like some, something in the Bible about like eating at the same, like eating at the same place as sinners and not telling them about their sin or not condemning their sin. Just like Jesus did when he invited a bunch of people to have dinner with him and didn't say anything about it. Exactly. Got it. Pastor. I, was just idiot. Like, I, don't, I got really upset. I was like, no, Nope. I don't know. In that moment, I truly was just like church shut off in my brain. And I was like, yeah, that's not what I wanted to hear. I didn't want to hear that. I was just going to go to hell because my parents sleep with someone else together. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm not, I didn't want to hear that. So I stopped going altogether and I have not gone back since. That's so wild. That is like that much of a clean cut. That's such a crazy thing to say. Especially to like a young person to be like the fate of your family and your elders and the people who are technically supposed to be responsible for you is now your responsibility. Yeah, you need I was to like, clean I was this now up. Responsible, like I was responsible for their salvation at all up like in this one moment. And I was like, no, 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 no. I don't. That's I don't think that's my responsibility. I really don't think that as a person I'm responsible for anybody else's like life. Really, unless I gave birth to them, which I didn't. So I'm not going to (laughs) put that weight on myself. And I don't think God requires it. So I was just kind of like, nope, if that's true, I I didn't read the Bible. I'm not going to be a liar and say I read it a bunch. But I'm like, if this is what the pastor says is what's in the Bible, I don't like the Bible anymore. So (laughs) I make a clean exit. When when you moved home was the... uh other lady still part of their relationship yeah my dad ended up marrying her when my parents got divorced and then now they're separated and he has a new girlfriend so he's like i think my dad just has player vibes in him and he just (laughs) yeah he just he went back to his old ways like he had four kids before my mom and him got married so it's like he just went back to a lot of relationships I think that's really what he wanted. He just wanted to be in a lot of relationships. 
be like, you need a new outlet for these uh, these impulses, maybe like writing. Yeah. <laughs> Erotic fan fiction, perhaps. There we uh, go. Mm-hmm. Well, he works at a sex club, so he's got access to. Okay. I... Those are like <laughs> signs. There were signs that led into me finding out my parents were potentially on this weird road. And one of those signs is my dad started working for Ron Jeremy. And I didn't know who Ron Jeremy was. Super Mario? Ever. <laughs> <laughs> It was, yeah, I have pictures of them. I used to post it every Father's Day. I'd be like, look, me, my, my dad and his best friend, Ron. And then once all the scandal stuff came out in like 2016 or something, my dad told me to stop doing that. So I was yeah. like, oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> you might like, be embarrassed wow. by your past associations. Yeah. Sorry you, don't, sorry you don't want me to posting pictures of your choices. Uh, <laughs> that's unreal. Uh so yeah, he started he working Ron for Ron. Jeremy. Ron Jeremy yeah. had a sex club in Portland um, that I think it was called Sesso Club Sesso, um, and my dad was the chef at that club, so he cooked all the food because they served food at the. the well, sex that's club. the last place I'd want to order food, but sure. Any? Do they? Do they have ambrosia? <laughs> No, I don't think my dad would eat that. We're <laughs> they only have they only have post fucked ambrosia there. <laughs> it's an interesting <laughs> club. I've been in it now. Ron Jeremy doesn't own it anymore. It's still a sex club, but new owners. My dad still works there. Um, I, okay, I'm. I guess I'm more naive than I would have thought uh, on this category. I guess I don't know why I would think I wouldn't be because. <laughs> I've never even been inside of a strip club, but what is like, what, what's the a sex club? I mean, is you literally go and you, I mean, cause sex. <laughs> sex work isn't legal. I didn't think. So how do you have it as a club? But I, it's a consensual situation. Um, so I they're believe. not getting paid for it. No, I mean, Allegedly. the club is getting paid for membership fees. So you can come and experience the club at a membership. Okay. Um, but wow, the people what a who loophole are, from, yeah, this is Portland. Sex work. Yeah, yeah, hell yeah. It's positive sex worker positive, sex worker positive in Portland. But I went to that club for an art show. Thank God it was not a actual event. My dad won't even let me like if he's working and I'm in the area and I need something from him, he'll just be like stand outside. He won't let me go in, even though I'm an adult. It's just like no, stand yeah. outside. I'll bring whatever well, it is well, to you. Which things will change. Sense. It's like you think of that moment when they sat you down and said, this woman's moving in with us and sleeping in our bed, like, and how much that changed. I think even as an adult walking in there, just knowing that that's that, I feel like that would just kind of rock my world still as an adult. If I, if my dad worked in a place like that, it's like, if I walked in and saw it, it's like, they're seeing it and not see like, you can know and have the idea, but then like seeing it with your eyes and you go, well, this changes things a little bit. Yeah. it Like when I went for the art show, um, it was like this artist who took a bunch of like um, kind of like sports cards, images of strippers. And so you like saw all of these like sports cards for all of these different strippers in Portland, which was kind of cool to look at those. Um, but there was also naked pictures of my, my dad in the back. And so that was another... I read, my dad told me, do not go back there. Is it a holographic like, card? <laughs> <laughs> it 
it was just like my dad covering his private parts with like a pan and like spatula like cooking equipment Whoa. Well, your dad found the place that he feels like Bed Bath and Beyond, but with a naked man behind each each utensil. It was very, very like, I just remember being like, you know what? My life is just outrageous. I'm just going to have to accept that it is outrageous. And it is what it is. Like, I don't even consider myself super Christian anymore. I just like, I was raised that way. And culturally, I understand a ton of Christian cultural references culture phenomena whatever yeah but i wouldn't say i practice i'm just i've experienced so much of it that it's weird to be like no it's not a part of me i'm like well it is it is a part of me i grew up in it i've been in church more than i've been not in church at this point in my life so and like i'm only 27 so i've spent not that much time as like a non-church growing person yeah, and I think I think like when you grow up like that, like it, it's whether you want to admit it or not, like it's it's part of your worldview. It's part of the lens by which you view the world around you, and there's mm-hmm. just not really any getting away from that completely. So I think sometimes it's better just to kind of make peace with it and establish like what part of it you accept and what part you don't. You know, and it's what it's more. It's I think more of the problem with Christianity for most people is environment. It's environment based rather than like, you know, worldview so much. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm rambling now. I, I went down a hole and I don't know how to get out. Well, it's like you because I well, I even still notice myself like you have like base reactions to things and I like you have to delineate like, oh, am I reacting to this? Or thinking this way because I have a real thought about it at all, or is it just like a uh, like a predisposed response due to like cultural conditioning in the environment that I grew up in? So then you have to like you kind of have to examine a lot more of your thoughts than you want to. I feel like at least for me, I'm like I don't mm-hmm. want to think this much about the things I think. I want to just be a regular person, but I can't be because I spent too much of my life being conditioned to think that like any misstep is like yeah. The you biggest get, like, of here to, to be yourself because of religion. At least for me, I think that's what I realized as I got older and spent more time away from church and like really developed myself as a person. I was like, well, I'm responsible for my own morality and my own moral compass. So what I think is okay is okay. And what I don't think is okay is not okay. Just in my head. And it's like, I don't need to push that it's like shame. The shame that comes in Christianity and the shame that's in religion is disgusting to me. It's like, it's not, why are we doing that? Like, leave them alone. Let people have their life. It has yeah, nothing to yeah, do with yeah. us. Not our circus, not our monkeys. Like, get over it. <laughs> we don't agree. Let's just move on. <laughs> but, so, what, um, what, when the, I've, obviously, that one of the things that stuck, I mean, I, I listen to a, a fair amount of comedy, but I'll never not have my ears perk up when someone starts talking about their experiences that are similar to mine regarding Christianity, because it's just an instant point of connection. I feel like, so um, when did you get, when did you start wanting to get into comedy? And I, I'm also curious as to like, did you always incorporate 
like the the Christian element or like the, your experience with with Christianity as part of the humor, or did that come later when you kind of like were more comfortable being outside of it? Um. So I started comedy in 2021. Um. I like just came out of the pandemic. I first time I ever got on stage was 2019, but like there was so much going on in my life at that time. Like I moved out of my old roommate's place, had to move back with my mom. And it was like a clusterfuck. I barely went out and did comedy. And then the pandemic happened. And like when I came back to comedy, it was like the perfect time kind of because there were no black women in Portland comedy at the time. And so really? I was just like the only thing there. So of course I got booked a lot because I was like <laughs> fitting this diversity quota that Portland has to meet in every single show. So I was <laughs> there doing a ton of comedy, being forced into 15 minute sets, knowing damn well I don't have like three minutes of material. So I was oh. just kind of like thrusted upon the scene in a like really like fast way. Um, I think I... I don't know if I really wanted to be a comedian when I was younger, but um, I knew I wanted to be in front of people or a performer of some sort. I did enjoy watching the pastor preach. I thought that was always like fun and moving. So I knew that that was something that I was interested in as a child. Um, But I don't know. I wasn't thinking about comedy. Comedy just kind of happened to me because a boy told me to do it. And I was like, okay, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so that's really what happened is the boy told me you'd be good at comedy i'm like okay i'll do it that's so funny i and so you're well okay your first uh your first um open mic was it like i mean you either feel like you did all right or people bomb like that, that's such like a defining yeah. moment i feel like and a lot of people talk about you know they killed for like an open mic and it wasn't until a little bit later that they really, when you come out with like five minutes of material and you come out swinging, it goes well, but then all of a sudden like you bomb a little bit later and that's kind of like, what was your experience with that? Yeah. I remember um, doing an open, my first open mic and I did really well. And then on my like second, third or whatever, once I got into 2021, took that year off and came back in, um, it didn't go super well one of the times because we had to do comedy outside because of COVID. I remember we were doing comedy outside and there's like homeless people walking back and forth in front of me because it's standing literally outside of a bar. And so the sidewalk is like the stage and people walk around you while you have a microphone in your hand. And I remember I had such a bad set that these, these people in the audience were like, it's okay, girl. It's okay. You got this. And it made me feel so fucked up inside oh my like, god when my set was over i left and i cried and i called both my parents separately and i was like i don't know if i could do this this is too difficult i'm like i'm not doing good at this i want this so badly to work and it's not working and like my parents were like people live in their cars when they're comedians so you need to get over it whoa so tough love, huh? <laughs> yeah my parents have like a lot of tough love they're just like yeah well, this is going to happen. This is life. This is comedy. You're going to fail a lot more than you succeed. They're like, just keep your head on straight. And I'm like, okay. And then I think that week um, I got booked on my first show ever. So then like 
two months of me doing comedy, I got booked on my first show. And then after that, I won a contest two months later for comedy. And then the rest kind of just all started going boom, 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 really fast after that. Oh, it's just forced into like a really fast roll. I don't know. Comedy is wow. fun, but it could be depressing. It was just too, <laughs> too much too fast for someone who didn't know much to begin with. Yeah, yeah. I, I have a feeling like, because I work in sales and like you spend a lot of your time making these like minute gains that like build up over the course of time. And before you know it, if you've been keeping your head down, like, boom, you've got like a lot of progress underneath you, you know? But then once in a while, like you hit a home run and you land something really big. Mm -hmm. And like, even though like the, the numbers are like amazing and from the outside, you know, it feels like everybody, everybody sees it and they're in awe of it and stuff. But like, you kind of feel yourself like, this happened too quick and I feel nervous about this. What if this falls apart? Like, did mm -hmm. I do this right? Did I deserve for this to happen? And, you know, I don't know. I, I imagine there's, there's probably moments like that too. in in comedy. Yeah. I found myself changing my material a lot up front. Cause if it didn't work immediately, then I would just not say it ever again. Like I, I did talk about God randomly throughout comedy. Cause I just like, I don't know. There's certain parts of it that I do find as parts of my identity a little bit. Like one of my jokes where I'm like talking about dicks, I just said, God won't give you what you can't handle. I just remember that scripture <laughs> I remember hearing. And I know that it kind of is funny that it aligns in this weird way into. I've had someone comment blasphemy underneath that joke. And I'm like, whatever. I don't what care. a good compliment. That's the best compliment. Those are great ones. I love being told. There's no footnotes in the Bible. There's nobody saying that's not what he was talking about. Exactly. I mean, he said that you're perfect. That's what you should take from that. Like you didn't mess up on you. So what? Okay. So I feel like the West coast, cause you talked about like that, covid eras when you started and mm -hmm. i think portland and the west coast it, it kind of has like a specific uh brand of like performative yes. white allyship yes and at first i kind of started to get like this imposter syndrome like they're only booking me because i'm black they're only booking me because i'm a woman because they need these things but then i realized i'm like no nah, let me just not think that that way and just be the funniest woman or the funniest person of color on your show. And like, let's leave it at that. You're like, you booked me because I'm funny. I could not, I did not want to be labeled as like only there to fit that. And so I had to change my own mentality to be like, I'm not only here to fit this. Like, I mean, every, nobody wants to get canceled in Portland. That's really what it is. Like joining comedy in the, the, pandemic right after this long long black lives matter movement and then like it just seemed like everybody wanted to make sure that like they didn't look bad and i was the face of the not looking bad so it's like oh my god it made me insecure but at the same yeah. time i was like fuck it you know if that's what how i get my stage time i guess that's how i get my stage time like and at the end of the day, like if it's uh if you're not funny and it's not working, you're not gonna move. Yeah, on. then it like, it's not gonna elevate. Yeah. You're just gonna 
it'll fizzle out and they'll find another person to fill their quota. Like, so yeah, I don't know if that's a shitty way to say it, but I feel like, I mean, you still like it to stand on your own merit at that point, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, like here in Portland, it's like this shows have to have a woman or a person of color or someone LGBTQ or it, then it just gets labeled like a toxic male show if it doesn't have one of those three things. So it's getting pretty expansive. It's just like so they they're gonna start having like comedy weight classes too. You know, you get to weigh in before the shows. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they, they do it all here. I saw a fat show. They were just like, we're gonna book all the fat people. If you're fat, hit me up. We can get booked on this fat people show. <laughs> like, oh, that's how. I mean, hey, if you want to make a space for somebody, make space, but also stop being corny. Like, it's yeah. not. <laughs> That's a good way yeah, to put it's it. It's like sometimes you just want to be like, this, it, 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 tone it down. Yeah. <laughs> we, like, we all believe you're a good person. Just just tone it down a little bit. Yeah. I like that phrasing. Make it space to stop being corny. I'm, I love that. That's. <laughs> I think that sums up real well. <laughs> Wow. Dude, so what's on the horizon for you? Like, what are you working towards right now? Um, right now, I kind of, like, because I'm from here, I've lived here for, like, 15 years consecutively. Um, I just kind of want to get out of Portland. <laughs> I don't know. I've never really been anywhere else. So I just want to, like, make that move into a different state and try comedy somewhere else, try this comedy career somewhere else. Um it's nice that like social media has gone really well. So that means maybe I can get my foot in the door a little easier, but still would be like starting over because I've never lived far away from my family before. So it'd be an interesting little next step. But I plan on this year, this year being my last year in Portland and like going to find that new place. If you want to explore being in a thruple, I'm sure you could find a nice couple that'll take you in for free. (laughs) Well, I mean, I've been I've been propositioned at shows before by couples. So. <laughs> Portland's such an interesting place. Things will happen. You're like, well, only here, only yeah, here. right. <laughs> That's nuts. What's uh okay? So, you know, Sam and I listen to so many comedy podcasts. You know, you just hear people talk over and over about like these different clubs that seem to occupy like this space in the scene is like, Oh man, that's a legendary place to perform. Like what, is there any place on your list that you're like, that's, I just want to stand on stage there. Um, they're not in Portland, but um, like the comedy store or the comedy cellar, I would love to like perform at one of those two places. Um, like the, the laugh factory would be a really cool place to perform um, but like locally we only have one club and yeah I've done the open mic there I've done a show there before so it's like kind of already have done something on that stage before um, but I don't know I thought like I really wanted to do Seattle International Competition I did it and I didn't do well and so I'm like I, I don't know if I want to ever do this again so I've, I've done the theaters and those are really fun too they're just very different than local comedy shows for sure, sure yeah 
theaters I versus bet. clubs and stuff as uh yeah i can imagine that being different comedy shows i mean uh competitions like you said are funny too because you said like you mentioned doing one and in, in winning but it's like um but it's like the subjective nature of comedy makes it turning it into a competition such a goofy it's, yeah it's a kind of an uncomfortable feeling to be in a competition because like I think we put a lot of value into our own jokes and then for someone else to just completely take all that value away is right. hurtful. Even if you're like, I'm a strong person. I don't care what people think about my comedy. Yes, you do. That's why we go on stage and perform. If we didn't care, yeah. then we would shut up and keep our feelings to ourselves. Be a writer or something. If you don't care what people have to to say, we're stand-up comics. Of course we care. And that's why it hurts your feelings when people are like, nah. I think you were a six tonight. You weren't a nine. You were a six. Your yeah, performance yeah, it, was a six. Or when uh when when people who aren't comics, like fans, just any idiot in the audience tells you after a show how you could make a joke better, that must feel fun. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, sure, okay. <laughs> I always suggest people do comedy. I don't care. I'm like, just you do it. That's a good joke for you. You do it. <laughs> Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, man, thank you so much for for coming on. I uh, <laughs> thank we, you we, for having me. Yeah, I, I know we had to switch things around a little bit because of scheduling stuff and whatnot. But uh, I'm glad we got to meet you. And uh, yeah, again, Sam and I are just like big fans of your comedy, and like thank especially you. when you see so many. You know, you see so many clips come across TikTok or Instagram nowadays and stuff. And like, I feel like watching your your sets, uh, you, there's like kind of a spark in the ideas that you have about things that that makes me think like, and you got nowhere to go but up in this. You, you're oh, thank doing you. a great I, job. I really so. appreciate it. Yeah. Well, where can people find you? Um, Instagram um imani dene underscore um tiktok would be underscore weird ho i know it's a weird thing <laughs> that's been my name since i was like a teenager so start with way. aol instant messenger <laughs> yeah um yeah imani dene on facebook so yeah there's a lot of the places i'm not all over the place but i'm on those places imani dene on youtube any of those perfect places. Sounds good. Well, I'll put a link to the description to all of those in, uh, or a link in the description for all of those. But uh, yeah, thanks again for joining us. Thank you guys for listening, and we will see you next time.